Hebrews chapter 4. Um, it should be up here. Um, if you've got a Bible, you can follow along. If not, it'll be up here, so it's fine. Um, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it, for good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Amen. All right. So uh, good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day. Um, I'm wearing all of my uh, Father's Day stuff, and uh, Arlo said to make sure I show you. So um, she got me socks with her face on it. <laughs> so that's why I'm wearing my Burks. I got this uh, nice sweater, uh, which I loved. And then um, we were upstate and then she was like, you're not allowed to buy that. It's too pink. But I kept talking about it. So she's like, fine, we'll get it for you. So Jen set it up. So I'm in all my Father's Day stuff. Um, I was drawn to these verses uh, because uh, they speak about one of my favorite things in life, which is rest. But recently, my relationship with rest um, has gotten very complicated, as I'm sure yours has as well. And as a middle-aged man, I think about rest uh, the same way I think about Blockbuster, which is when I was a kid, they were everywhere, and now that I'm old, they're nowhere. Where is rest? Where can I find it? Where is it going? Now, there's a number of different reasons why our relationship to rest has shifted. Uh, recently, COVID has messed with our sleep. Ongoing research in Europe and Asia confirms that stress related to the pandemic has increased the number of sleep disorders amongst the general population. But even uh, the people who do get sleep, they're noting that the quality of that sleep has decreased dramatically. And last year, we had someone come to talk to our church about parenting, and they described what's going on from a biological point of view. Our bodies are hardwired with an instinctive fight or flight response, and it really it releases adrenaline and blood into our extremities so that when we face an acute threat, we can either run away or decide to fight. Uh, when that threat disappears, we enter a relaxed rest and digest phase to recover. But the question that has happened that keeps coming up over the last couple of years is, what if the threat that we're facing is not acute, but it's constant? What if the thing that we're afraid of is the air? And what if every interaction that we have is a potential exposure. What this person explained is when that happens, you enter into a state of chronic stress where our bodies keep yo-yoing back and forth between these two extremes. We are afraid, 
but we're in desperate need of rest. We are anxious, but we're also exhausted. And I could see this phenomenon manifested in my morning routine and in my nighttime routine. At night, I would need maybe two, maybe three glasses of wine to fall asleep. If that didn't work, I had a couple melatonin jellies that I would eat to go to sleep. But you know, when you try that, um, you don't get good sleep because you got to get up, go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. So you wake up the next morning and you need two or three cups of coffee to get going. And so you're constantly going back and forth between super exhausted, super hyped up, and your body never gets the rest that it needs. Stepping back, um, we know that the pandemic actually accelerated certain trends that were working against our rest. We became more dependent on technology, which is programmed and designed to hook our attention. And for most of us, we probably use our phones as an alarm clock. So the reality is it's the first thing we touch in the morning. It's the last thing we touch at night. And for some reason, when you wake up in the middle of the night, there's this urge just to check what time it is. So you go over, you pick up your phone, and the world lights up in your face. Suddenly, um, two hours later, <laughs> I've been watching reels of basketball highlights from the 1990s and 2000. I'm like, oh shoot, it's 4.30, what happened? So the phones and technology are kind of messing with our rhythm. And not only that, because of uh, work from home with Zoom, uh, the boundary between work and home has eroded. Now there's no place, no physical space that we can go where we say, this is my space. This is where I drop everything else and I just focus on the things that I want to focus on. But instead, the outside world has infiltrated and the space for rest has shrunk. So now rest, one of the things we need most in the world is vanishing like a fog. So where does that leave us? Hebrews 4 speaks to this question directly. It validates our need for rest and points us in the direction of true rest. So before we take a deeper look at what this passage has to say, why don't we pray? Dear God, we come to this place uh, in need of your spirit. Uh, we come to this place recognizing that the last couple of years have been hard, but when we gather together, you offer us deep rest. And we need to find it, we need to access it, and we pray that your spirit would do that. At the end of this passage, it says that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so what I pray would happen as we think about your word today is that your word would come, pierce through our hearts, cut away the things that are keeping us from seeing how much healing we need, cut away our doubt, cut away our disobedience, and help us to see that as we gather in this place, you are here. You ask us to stand, you ask us where we need healing, and you offer us healing and restoration. That is the rest that we need. So we pray that as we continue to gather in your name, you would allow us to experience that to the full. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay. So the first thing that we notice about rest is rest is not just about sleep. It's anything that you do that makes you feel refreshed, that makes you feel alive, and it's pretty easy to identify what rest is because it's usually the first thing you want to do as soon as you can step away from work. And the strange thing about rest is it's like a Dragon Ball character. It changes forms through time. And when we were kids, rest could be anything. It could be reading a book, swinging from monkey bars, watching a movie, basically anything that was not school. 
And when you think back about the things you used to do as a kid to have fun, to find rest, it's kind of strange and it's kind of baffling. And the thing that I always think about is being like in fourth or fifth grade, being about four and a half feet tall and standing with a group of my friends underneath the door frame and jumping as high as I could to see if I could touch the top. And we would do this for hours and we would debate, is it better to get a running start? Is it better to crouch on two feet? And the feeling of your fingertips scraping across the top made you feel like you had just conquered the world. But as we age, the form of rest has changed. When I was in college, the first thing I wanted to do after finals was get all you can eat, anything. There was an Indian food place that we would get uh, for $8. Who can eat that, that many plates of Indian food? But we did it, and afterwards they gave you a mango ice cream. If we were feeling like this was the end of the year finals, we'd go get all-you-can-eat Korean barbecue and take public transportation. And then we would just sit around for six hours, play Halo or play Texas Hold'em, and then get wings at night, and then sleep around three in the morning, wake up at noon, and then go eat again. Then you get a job, and you're in your 20s, and rest is going to a bar with your friends, getting a late night snack in the East Village or Koreatown, deciding to hit up karaoke to see if you still remember all the words to Gangsta's Paradise, and then eating more until the sun comes up. But now, as an old man, <laughs> none of those things seem restful. They seem awful. And the last thing I want to do is go out into a bar and pay $8 for a drink that I know costs 50 cents. So what do I do? What's my image of rest? One glass of wine, 8 o'clock, my head on a pillow at 9 o'clock, watching something on the TV that's not good. I don't want it to be good because I don't want it to keep me up. I want it to be a little boring so that I can fall asleep to it as like a lullaby and sleep eight hours uh, continuously, which has not happened since February 10th, 2018. <laughs> which happens to be Arlo's birthday by some profound coincidence. And as we continue to age, it's so strange, but this always happens. The image of rest will continue to morph, and it's only a few years before we start dreaming of high-waisted stretchy pants <laughs> that hold it all in, or 10-day all-inclusive cruises to Alaska, or traveling abroad in a tour bus filled with other people and visiting Chinese restaurants across Europe or going to some house uh, that's warm, <laughs> surrounded by a golf course, even though none of us plays golf. The image of rest changes, and Hebrews chapter 4 acknowledges, if you look at verses 2 through 10, that God's rest also change. Where does God's rest go? What does it look like? In verse 4, he mentions the Sabbath day, and that is the seventh day where God rested from his works of creation. And this early form of rest set a pattern for Israel. Every Saturday, you cannot work. You can't go into the fields. You can't gather extra manna. You have to just sit and worship, be with your family, eat, and give thanks. You get to participate in God's rest. But then the author of Hebrews mentions another form of rest. The author talks about the Exodus generation, and they had been in Egypt for 400 years, and they had been enslaved by the Egyptian pharaohs. They cried out to God, God heard their cry, and when he came to rescue them, the form of rest that he promised them was, you will enter a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of your own, a land where God would be their God and they would be his people. The second form of rest 
was geopolitical independence and peace. It was material. It was prosperous. It was a sense of belonging in a place. But we see that these forms of rest were provisional and in some places incomplete. We know from the prophets that Israel often failed to keep the Sabbath. Ezekiel 20.16 tells us that God's people rejected my ordinances and did not observe my statutes. They profaned my Sabbaths, for their hearts went after idols. The author of Hebrew goes on to explain that the first generation of Egyptians, or the first generation out of Egypt, including Moses, were not able to enter the promised land. They saw their enemies. They said, these guys look like giants. I don't think we're going to be able to beat them in hand-to-hand combat. And so they had doubts and did not follow God when God said, now is the time to attack. And these doubts are surprising because this generation had witnessed God overthrow the most powerful empire in the entire world with ten plagues. They saw God split the sea and allow his people to walk on dry ground. Every morning for breakfast, they had heavenly bread that had formed on the morning desert sand. But even still, they had their doubts. But even when they were able to conquer it, there was something wrong. We know that the generation after Moses was led by Joshua, and they succeeded. They took over the promised land where Moses and the previous generation had failed. But something strange happens in the book of Joshua. The final hour, they get tricked into making a treaty with some of their neighbors. And as a result, for the rest of their tenure in the land, they are constantly battling with Philistines, Assyrians, Babylonians. They never had their rest. Verse 8 to 10 capture this perfectly. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Joshua's rest lacked something. And the author of Hebrews tells us that there is a better rest waiting ahead. So what is this final form of rest? What is the rest that the author of Hebrews tells us is available today? There's a story in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, from early on in Jesus' ministry. And he's in a synagogue, he's teaching, and in attendance is a man uh, with a withered hand. It doesn't work. And in looking at the text, it's likely that there is something like a setup going on. All of the gospel writers mention that the Pharisees and scribes knew this man was here, and they were watching Jesus carefully to see what he was going to do. Because if Jesus was going to heal this man, to them, that would have been a violation of the Sabbath. But Jesus disagreed. In Luke 6, 8, it says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to these Pharisees and scribes, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. The rest that the Hebrew writer describes can't be captured in a weekly routine. It's not prosperity that's rooted in what you have or where you live. The rest he urges us to enter is one that is able to restore our deepest wounds. And I think we all kind of know this, but the past couple years have been hard. Uh, By the grace of God, we persevered and we made it. And we haven't really had a chance to like uh, take a step back and be like, God, I can't believe we um, lived through that. And this passage 
is a reminder that Jesus sees um, all the stuff that's kind of accumulated over the years. Um, he sees <laughs> you working full time, taking care of your kids, figuring out masks, trying to, you know, work with your parents who don't believe in masks and <laughs> don't want to visit you and keep hanging out with their friends even though there's an airborne virus. And you say, Mom, please just help. <laughs> he sees all of this stuff that we've kind of had to work through. And I know many of us haven't had a chance to really process it, but he says, hey, I see that you are in need of healing. Stand up, stretch out your hand, and he'll restore us. And that's what the Hebrew writer is talking about. That's the rest that we have available as we gather today. In verse 7, it says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, because the final form of rest is a rest that heals it refreshes us, it restores us, it brings us back to life, and it's available today. So now we're left with a question. Great. How do we get that rest? What do we do? And if you look at this passage, you realize that there's something that doesn't seem to make sense, but the more that you think about it, you realize that it's true, because verse 11 says, the way that you get rest is you strive. You earn that rest, you strain for that rest, you struggle for that rest. And there's a weird thing happening because the best rest requires the hardest work. And when you think about it, that makes sense because we know this from our own life. When's the last time you showed up at home after a hard day's work and found that you unexpectedly had 24 hours to yourself? I don't even have to ask why the answer is never. That has never happened. If you want a day for yourself, it doesn't happen automatically. You have to plan months in advance. You got to take uh, time off of work. You have to arm yourself with spiritual power to make sure all of this stuff gets done. Not only that, as you're leading up to your day off, you got to work extra hard so that as you're away, you don't come back to even more work than you would have had if you hadn't gone away. You got to ask your spouse, hey, um, I know you're tired. Uh, I'm tired too. Um, can I have some time off? <laughs> uh, and maybe then you got to hire some childcare to spread out the burden. Then you hope and you pray that all the things you want to do are available. You make your appointments, you make your reservations, you check out that clothing store, and just hope that everything lines up the way that you want it to do. And at the end of it, you kind of wonder, was it worth it? Just to get 24 hours to myself, it took all of this work. And it gets worse if you add more people and more days and you want to go somewhere like the beach. You got to do all those things, but then you got to get your kid a swimsuit that fits because last year's is probably too small. You got to find them the right shoe that is comfortable and not too tight and that can get the sand out easily. You need a tent so you don't get sun damage and then you need to find the right SPF so they don't get sun damage. And you have to stay at a place that's pretty close so that you can get to the beach easily. And all of this is if you're going somewhere drivable. If you get on a plane, it gets even worse and it's no wonder that the cliche exists, I need a vacation from my vacation. Getting rest is hard work and the same is true for spiritual rest. When God established the Sabbath for the Israelites, he was working against the grain. The Egyptian calendar does not run on a seven-day cycle. It runs on a 10-day cycle. And most likely, it's geared towards increasing productivity amongst slaves. So when God says, no, every seven days, you're going to rest, he broke and challenged a 10-day habit, which probably was good for their productivity, but it's not good for remembering God. Keeping the Sabbath requires you to fight against the wider culture. When Joshua was about to enter the promised land, it wasn't just handed to him on a platter 
Of course, God fought for them in Jericho, but they still had to suit up. They still had to walk around the city. They still had to shout with all of their might. Getting rest in the promised land required a struggle. And verse 11 challenges us, let us strive to enter this rest, this restorative rest. And whether it's in our personal life or our spiritual life, we know that rest requires a striving, a struggling, and a straining. And the rest that Jesus offers us requires the hardest work of all. It requires perfect obedience. It requires satisfaction for all the laws that we've broken. It requires death on the cross. But the good news about Jesus' rest is we're not the ones that have to do it. He's already taken care of it for us. My mom, she lives in Maryland, and maybe a few times a year, we'll drive down to hang out with her and my brother. And one of the best things about going home is no matter when we arrive, um, chances are it's either in the morning or late at night, no matter when we arrive, there will be a hot bowl of kimchi soup waiting for us. And the kimchi is perfectly ripened so that the vinegar that cuts through the soup is not just savory but refreshing. The pork meat has fat that has released its power into the broth after hours of simmering over a blue flame. And it has this perfect level of spice that releases like all the tension in your back <laughs> and all the tension you store between your shoulders from having to drive 220 miles. And it's rewarding because all of the hard work is done. You just got to show up and here's a bowl of soup. And Jesus' rest is like that. It can restore you. It can make you feel like you're home after a long day's journey. And yeah, it requires hard work, but that work is taken care of. All you got to do is show up. And so that leads us to a word of warning. The biggest obstacle that prevents us from entering God's rest. Verse 2 and 6 tells us that the only thing that can prevent us from experiencing rest like this is a lack of faith and a lack of obedience. Those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, says verse 6. And there's an example of this from the Old Testament, and it's a little um, on the nose. So, yeah, it, it works, but, like, don't take it too seriously. Uh, and I think it works because we have this general pattern. There's a guy in the Old Testament, and he wanted to go on a vacation. And he wanted to go on a vacation so bad that he got on a ship, and he said, I'm going to go to Tarshish. So nobody really knows where Tarshish is, but there's a few possibilities. Some people think that it's a coastal town in Spain near Seville. Uh, other people think it could be Sardinia, the island in Italy. Other people think it could be the North African coast. No matter what we're talking about, we're talking about like a Mediterranean beach town, which sounds awesome. It's probably the places most of us dream about uh, when we want to go on vacation. So this guy gets on board a ship, getting ready to go across the crystal clear Mediterranean. But as soon as he gets on, God sends a storm. And who are we talking about? We're talking about Jonah. Jonah was called to go to Nineveh because, nah, I need a vacation. <laughs> I'm going that way. And what we see is no matter how hard he tried, no matter where he tried to go to, he was forever restless because the root of what he was doing was disobedience and a lack of faith. Pretty on the nose. But I think maybe that same pattern exists for us. When we want true rest, it's not about like going on a vacation. It's not about like having a self-care day. Those things are important. The heart of it has to be, God, do I believe that you are for me? Do I believe that when we gather together, you ask me to stand and you restore who I am? Do I believe that what I ultimately crave can only be found in you? Once we get that thing right, the rest of the rest will come. 
So that is the message of Hebrews chapter four. The keys for rest are found in Christ and the way that we access it is through faith and obedience. So in closing, the book of Hebrews was written to isolated pockets of persecuted Christians in the Roman Empire. They persevered through the first wave of persecution, even though a lot of them um, lost their property and became social outcasts. And another wave is on the horizon. And many of them are on the verge of giving up. They say, I'm tired of this. (laughs) I don't want to keep meeting. Uh, I'm done uh, with this faith. And in the same way, the last few years obviously have taken a toll. And not just on us as individuals, but even on the church. And many smaller churches have lost members and leaders and they've had to shut down. But we're still here. We're small, (laughs) but we're still here. And you have to ask the question, why? Why has God allowed us to still be here? Now, I don't really know the answer to that. uh, But all I can say is that I'm thankful that we are. I know my faith would not be as strong as it is if we had not met together every week encouraging one another. Even if it's just a couple of us here, what we do when we gather together is something mysterious. We invite God's presence. And as we gather, we remind each other that Jesus is here and he offers us this hard-fought, hard-earned rest. And through our fellowship, as we sing, as we hear his word, as we pray together, we enter into his presence. And if you listen close, you can hear him ask, where is it that you need to be healed? What is the thing that you are carrying Where can I help you? And when we hear him, he says something else. He says, stretch out your hand. Whatever it is, whatever the uh, hurt is, whatever the pain is, whatever the um, hardship is, he says, stretch it out, and I will restore you. I will make you whole. Through our fellowship, we experience a rest that heals us and binds us. As it says in Isaiah 58, if you call the Sabbath the delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your way or seeking your pleasure or talking about foolish things, then you shall take delight in the Lord and it will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. Let's pray. Um, yeah, so uh, before, you know, I lift up a prayer for us, uh, God is here. Uh, Jesus is here. Today is the day that you can enter his rest. Um, and, you know, as we joked, like once the kids left, like it was so quiet and it was so awesome. Uh, you know, I love my kid, obviously, but it's so good to have time to rest and reflect. And it's so hard and it's been so hard over the last couple years to hear Jesus speak clearly So why don't we just give him some space and say, Jesus, are you here? And let him ask you, what is the hurt? What is the hard thing in your life? Uh, What is the wound um, that you're holding on to that he wants to restore? And whatever it is, don't feel like that's the thing you gotta live with for the rest of your life or you just have to, to use the Korean word chama for the rest of your life because that's what we do. He's saying, no, stretch out your hand and I can make you whole. So that's it. Um, Let him speak to you. Let him minister to you. Let him show you that the true rest that we're seeking is not in some place or in some day, but it's in him. 
Uh, and after we pray like that for a little bit, uh, we'll continue to worship with song.